It's time for the podcast that features two guys that register on the Richter scale when they go up and down the stairs. It's the Morning Five, sponsored by the Parian Lawyers. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <gasps> His ability to suck in these balls. <gasps> Sounds like a case of the Mondays. Grab your balls. <gasps> When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. Good morning, West Georgia! And welcome in to the Morning 5 podcast. Today is Monday, September 22nd. We start the last week of September. That is hard to believe. That like summer has been over in a snap and just like that we blink and we are headed into fall. It's the last week. This is the last week of September. I mean, next month, literally next Monday when we start talking, it will be the month of Halloween. And then once we get through with that, it's going to be the month of uh, Thanksgiving. I, I just, I, I you know, this, this, this year is flying by. Absolutely flying by. 2023, I think, has been the quickest year. Uh, I've ever been alive. Of course, I guess that's what happens when you get older, I think. Uh, Today is National Lobster Day. I I, I like lobster. It's not something that I'm going to go out of my way to get, especially at a restaurant, just because of how expensive it is. I like the taste of lobster. Like, it's it's, it's good. I I enjoy lobster, but it's just just so expensive. Like, I, I mean, when you go, when you go to a restaurant and order lobster, like, it's I'd rather order steak for the exact same money. You can probably order steak. And I like the taste of steak better than I do lobster. Lobster's fine. It's good. I'll eat it. But I'm not going to pay how much lobster is at restaurants to get lobster. It's just it seems overpriced, in my opinion. Uh, something I will pay to get at a restaurant and it's never overpriced. It's always a perfect price. That is quesadillas. I'm a big quesadilla fan. I love quesadillas. My kids like to have quesadillas, especially in the um, especially in the winter, like the colder months. We eat a lot of quesadillas around here. It's pretty simple if you just want to do cheese quesadillas. Um, you can fancy it up, put some chicken in there, put some uh, oregano, stuff like that, or just throw cheese. Just th- cheese, two tortillas, and boom, you got a quesadilla. So I like I like lobster. I'm not gonna buy it at the restaurant too expensive. I uh, love quesadillas. So today is National Lobster Day and National Quesadilla Day. Uh, Braves take two or three this past weekend from the Nationals on Friday. They win nine to six. Austin Riley with four RBIs. Marcelo Zuna with three RBIs. That brings uh, Ozuna up to 90 RBIs and Riley up to 96. Uh, both of those guys, or Riley should definitely make it to 100 RBIs. He only, he's only four away from it. Uh, Acuna and Albies both added in an RBI piece that brought their total on Friday night to 104 for Albies and 101 for Acuna. Uh, Morton, Morton only went one inning on Friday. He was pulled after that. He is heading to the 15-day DL, which rules him out for the NLDS. That's a big blow, man. That was one of those guys that I definitely thought was going to be uh, our pitcher in the NLDS. I thought it was going to be, you know, Spencer, uh, Freed. Elder and Charlie Morton, probably. I thought that was going to be our four pitchers that we rolled out for the NLDS. Uh, Freed is still on track to pitch in the NLDS. His 15 day IL start uh, or stint is going to end before you have to declare your roster for the NLDS, but Charlie Morton's will not. So Charlie Morton goes on the 15 day IL, rules him out of the NLDS series, which is quite unfortunate. Hopefully it'll 
bring back a healthy and ready to go uh, Charlie Morton for the NLCS series once we win in the NLDS, whoever we are playing. So bad, a little, little bit of bad news out of the Braves camp this weekend. Uh, on Sunday, they tried to play on Saturday, got rained out. So a doubleheader on Sunday is what we got. Braves fall to the first game 3-2 to two, to the Nationals. Murphy and Pilar both uh, had both the uh, Braves RBIs in that game. Murphy with a solo shot in the ninth inning. Murphy's home run is 21st of the year. It was a broken bat home run. You all know how strong you have to be to hit a broken bat home run. Like, you have to be immensely strong. That is just, that's crazy that someone can hit a broken bat home run. It really is mind-blowing. Andrew Winans came in and pitched five innings, two earned runs, and six Ks. Pretty good. Pretty good out of the young guy. After just being called up the day before uh, for Morton going down into the IL, and then Andrew Winans being called up. I I like this kid, man. I think think he is a, a very promising I don't know if he's really a prospect anymore. I think he's close to 30. Um, but I, I think he's I think he's one of those guys that over the next year or two, if we do keep him, I think he's a nice arm to have back there because he's not going to come in and blow him away. You know, he pitched, he pitched against the Mets a couple weeks ago, or like a month ago, I guess, and he looked terrible. Um, but every, I feel like that's the only bad start Winans has had. He hadn't had many. He's only started like six games this year. Uh, but he's a, he's a pretty decent arm to throw in there when you need a spot start from somebody. Kyle Wright came in in relief. Three innings pitched, one earned run, and two Ks. That's what I want to see out of Kyle Wright. Yes, please. Yes, I like that. That's a lot better than his start against the Phillies the last time he was out. Gave up four earned runs and four uh, innings pitched. And then the the start before that against the Phillies as well after coming off the IL, six earned runs through three innings pitched. So I, I like that. One earned run over three innings against the, against the lowly Nationals. That's nice to see out of Kyle Wright. I really hope he is in the mix for starting pitching positions in the NLDS and NLCS because that guy last year was an absolute elite. I mean, he was amazing. He was really, really good last year. This year hasn't been able to get it back on track yet after the I had the long IL stint. Had a great April. Had a really good April. Um, but uh, but ever since coming off the IL, he's only had three starts. So you know, take it with a grain of salt. Ten innings pitched, eleven earned runs. That's that's not. It's not phenomenal, but luckily for Kyle Wright, the Braves have such a cushion cushion uh, with you know the NL and the best record in the National League that he can come out and kind of work stuff out at the at the major league level. The second game on Sunday, Braves win eight to five. Arcia with three RBIs, Pilar, and some guy named Forrest Wall. Guy named Forrest Wall got his first ever career hit, and I believe the first ever career hit for Forrest Wall was a home run. He had two RBIs on on Sunday night. Um, Olsen also added in an RBI. Pillar now with eight home runs on the uh, on the year. Arcia with sixty four RBIs. That's one of those. That's one of those guys that I don't think I expected sixty four RBIs out of Arcia. Now he's he's cooled off a bit as of late, but the guy guy still produces, man. Guy is the guy still produces, and I really thought. Once Dansby left this offseason for the Cubbies, I thought that was going to be a big hole in our lineup and especially our defense, and it really hasn't. Orlando Arcia has came in and played phenomenally this year for the Atlanta Braves, and I, I'm, I'm really excited that he's been able to fill the hole of Dansby so well because I thought that was going to be a massive loss, and and it wasn't. It, it just hasn't. The Braves organization does a great job of putting players in the best position to succeed, and Orlando Arcia is just another example of that. Olsen, He's up to 133 RBIs, 133 RBIs on the year. Just absolutely monster year. 
for Matt Olson. That's something Billy and I talked about before the season even began, that we both thought that Matt Olson this year was going to have a monster year, just an absolute mo- We knew what he was capable of, and last year coming into a new situation, a new ball club and everything, it's always a, a, a little, I don't know, weary. It, you, it always takes you a little time to get your feet wet. And I, Matt Olson, with the way this lineup is around him, you can't pitch around anybody really. Matt Olson is seeing the ball really well right now, uh, having an absolute monster year. And that's, you know, that's something Billy and I thought he was going to have this year. Uh, Strider goes out there five and two thirds, four and runs and four K's. Not the best outing for Spencer Strider. Didn't look like he had the best command of his fastball. Not terrible, obviously, by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly not what we know Spencer Strider is capable of. I, I just feel like a lot, a lot of the times when I've watched the Braves of the past, I don't know, week and a half, ever since we clinched the NL East, that that we just don't have that killer instinct right now. And I don't, I don't know if that's just a moron sitting on his sofa watching the game and having no reference on what they're doing. That's probably what it is. I mean, these guys are paid professional athletes. They know what they're doing out there. But it almost seems like the killer instinct from the Braves that we had pretty much all season has subsided just a bit. I don't want to say it's completely gone, but it's just not It's not as intense as it has been the rest of the season. And, and, and it is what it is. As long as we can turn it back on when the NLDS starts, that's all that really matters. Uh, but yeah, Spencer Strider, four, uh, five and two thirds, four earned runs and four K. Strider now leads the MLB in wins. Uh, he's at 19 wins, and Spencer Strider is three strikeouts, I believe, away from setting the Atlanta Braves single season franchise record for most strikeouts ever. It was set by John Smoltz uh, in oh man, '96, and I think it was I think it was '96. I don't remember. I think it was 96. It was two, 277 strikeouts uh, set by John Smoltz. Uh, Spencer Strider's three away from tying it, four away from breaking it. So we'll see if Spencer can get that the next time he goes out. Magic number now is three. Three is the magic number for the Atlanta Braves to clinch the best record in the National League and clinch home field all the way through the playoffs. Braves are the first team to 100 wins this season in the MLB. And the Atlanta Braves need 10 more, 10 more home runs over the next six games to set the MLB home run record. They are 10 home runs away from being the team that has hit the most home runs in the history of baseball for one season. You know, Billy and I have talked about it quite a bit that we think this offense might be the greatest offense ever assembled on a baseball team. It's possible the Braves are the greatest baseball team ever to play baseball in major leagues. Um, And that's another one of those records being set. 10 more home runs, 10 more home runs, and we've hit the most home runs in a single season for any team ever in baseball history. And baseball has been playing for over, well over 100 years, uh, probably close to 140, because I think they started back in the 1800s. So pretty crazy when you can set an all-time record. Falcons go on the road and ruin their perfect start to their season. They fall 2-1 to the brand new Lions, the MCDC-led Detroit Lions. Man, I, I, I've been a Ritter backer ever since he was drafted by Atlanta. I'm a big fan of Desmond Ritter. I'm a big fan of what he does on the field. I'm a big fan of his leadership. I like the way he plays. I can't defend him after this past weekend, guys. He did not look good. 21-38. And the fact that you asked Desmond Ritter to throw the ball 38 times, that is right there is a fail on the coaching staff for the Atlanta Falcons. Like I know they were down, you know, early, but they weren't down an insurmountable lead. You still had to have a conscious effort to run the ball. And they didn't, they completely got away from the run game. 
And uh, Desmond Ritter, A, he didn't look good. And B, that offensive line for the Falcons looked like absolute Swiss cheese tissue paper. Looked ter- He got sacked seven times. I mean, every time Desmond Ritter went back to throw the ball, I feel like he was under pressure every single time. And that's what happens when, we said this before the season began, the Falcons don't have a great pass-blocking offensive line. They have a very good run-blocking offensive line, but they do not have a good pass-blocking offensive line. And it showed this past weekend, and when you don't have a good pass-blocking offensive line, plus you don't make an assertive effort to run the ball, every time you snap the ball, Aiden Hutchinson knows exactly what you're doing. You're dropping back to pass. And Aiden Hutchinson is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL right now. I just I don't understand what the Falcons' game plan was going into this game. Uh, but Desmond Ritter, 21 for 38, 201 yards, no tutties, no interceptions, sacked seven times. Once again, not a great game from Desmond Ritter at all. Uh, and it, it was it's it's hard to defend, uh, near impossible to defend Desmond Ritter's performance on Sunday. It was bad. It was really bad. B. John Robinson only 10 touches for 33 yards. How does that happen? I I feel like the offensive coordinator. For the Atlanta Falcons has handed all these shiny, new, nice weapons and pieces and stuff, and he has no idea how to use them. None. Zero. I, I mean, it's 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 border it's it's bordering on on inept, really. Bijan Robinson, 10 touches for 33 yards. That can never happen. That can never happen. That you can't do that with a first round draft pick. Absolutely not. 10, 10 touches? No. Zero. That cannot happen. Uh, Tyler Algier, nine touches for 29 yards. Like those are those are your two most dynamic players out of the backfield. We know this Falcons team is built around the run, and the fact that your two most dynamic people in the backfield only got 19 combined touches, 19 combined touches. Desmond Ritter threw the ball near 40 times, and your two most dynamic players in the backfield only got 19 touches. That's inexcusable. Uh, how do you how do you do that? I I, I don't understand. Kyle Pitts and Drake London combined for seven receptions, 72 yards, zero touchdowns on 15 targets. There's just, there's so many weapons in this Falcons offense, and I I don't think they know how to use them. I really don't think that the Falcons know how to use all the weapons that they have. I, I, I just think they try to over, I don't know if they overthink things. I don't know if they overcomplicate things. I don't know if they just try to outsmart the other team by running a bunch of different weird sets. I don't know what's going on with this Falcons offense, but the fact that you have as much talent as you do on there, listen, I know the offensive line pass blocking is terrible. I know Desmond Ritter is not a top-tier quarterback. I understand these things. But the fact that you can't scheme and and get your talented players out on the perimeter or get them in a in a position to succeed, like why why couldn't we run more screen plays? Like why 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 can't the Falcons run more screen plays? I know I know we had one for, to Jono Smith. And there was another screenplay we ran. Like, like this, this Lions defense was hungry and shooting up the field quick. Why didn't we run some screens or some draws or something? Switch something up. I, the 19 touches in between Bijan and Algier is just unexcusable. Like, you can't you can't have that. I mean, Jameer Gibbs over on the other side had 17 carries by himself for 80, 80 yards. Like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like the Falcons... They just they can't get the ball in the hands of their playmakers consistently enough week in and week out. They just they, they can't figure it out, and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Uh, on Friday Night Lights, let's move over there and get all the updates from this past weekend. Bowden beats Temple forty-two to twenty. Caden Prothrow had five receptions for hundred and eighty-three yards. That kid is absolutely electric. Added in two tutties, 
as well. And a kickoff return for a touchdown, 70 yards from Caden Prothrow. That young man is going to be a monster. In a couple years when he's a senior, a Caden Prothrow kid is going to be an absolute monster. Kyler McGrin was 8 for 15 on passing for 236 yards and three tutties. Rushed for 93 yards and caught a 20-yard pass. Jordan Beasley had a 120 all-purpose yards. Folks, don't look now. Bowden Red Devils might win state again this year. They are starting to click. Uh, I said after the Manchester game that offense looked very discombobulated and there wasn't a lot of chemistry on it. That has 1,000% fixed itself. The Bowden Red Devils are clicking, and the chemistry is back going. And, I mean, between Kyler McGrin, Caden Prothrow, Jordan Beasley, you didn't even hear Devin Powell's name in any of those stats, and that kid is uh, amazingly electric and, and a vastly talented football player. This Bowden team, man, this Bowden team is going to be dangerous. They're going to be dangerous again this year. 42-20, to 20, they beat Temple. Villa, <laughs> Villarica. Villarica beats Banneker 13-10, to 10 on what was one of the most insane endings to a high school football game I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and, 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 and Billy knows this. I don't I don't complain about the referees. I don't complain about the umpires. It's just not what I do. Like, if you have to complain about the referees because of a loss or the umpires because of a loss, it means you didn't do your job. It's plain and simple. Do your job. Take the hands out of the officials, and you won't have to complain about them. But if you have to complain about the referees in a loss or the umpires in a loss, you didn't do your job. You just didn't. It's plain and simple. Having said that, the referees at the Villarica Banneker game, probably the worst refereed game I've ever seen in my entire life in any high school football forum. It was it was horrendous. It it was it was to the point where the GHSA needs to review all of those referees that were in that game and possibly get rid of it. It was the ineptitude that I saw on Friday night from that refereeing crew was astonishingly embarrassing and the GHSA should be ashamed that anybody on their payroll can do that bad of a job on a Friday night. Listen, I understand referees have a hard job. I understand they're not going to be perfect. It, we're all human. We all err. Whatever. You're, referees are going to make mistakes. It's fine. We see it. We see it all the time. They make mistakes. That's fine. Whatever. But the level of ineptitude we saw Friday night from this refereeing crew is absolutely 100% unacceptable and the GHSA has got to review that they have got to review the tape from that Villarica Banneker game because it was horrendous it was it was it was awful uh and and even worse than that whatever EMS service that Villarica High School employs or if it's the county that employs the EMS service there the EMS ambulance that was at the field Friday night for Villarica those guys need to be fired if they weren't fired Friday or if they weren't fired Friday night or Saturday morning this morning on Monday if anybody in power is listening to this podcast whatever EMS crew was at Villarica High School on Friday, they need to be fired. They absolutely need to be fired. A young man for Banneker went down on our nearest sideline, about the 40-yard line, about their own 40-yard line. Uh, and there were three or four coaches that were waving to the ambulance and waving to the EMS people that need, they needed to get on the field and cart this young man off. And it was close to five minutes before an EMS person got over to that young man and got him on a gurney and started moving him to the um, moving him to the ambulance, uh, that's a thousand percent unacceptable. I know we're trying to make. I know we're trying to make the game safer, and I'm all for that. You know, it's kind of I'm all for making the game safer. I understand these are kids out there. We want to make it as safe as possible, but when you have coaches 
visually waving frantically to get the EMS services over there. And it takes near five minutes to get somebody. They were probably 80 yards from the young man that got injured, maybe 80, 80, 90 yards from the young man that got injured. And when it takes you five minutes to get there, that's unacceptable, man. You are getting paid to do a job and you did it horrendously. You did it extremely poorly on Friday night. So whatever EMS crew was at Villarica High School on Friday night, you need to be fired immediately. You do not need to be working any high school games at all ever again in your entire life. Done. Completely done. Uh, that does need to be fired. Having said all that, the game ended in an absolute nail-biter, thrilling fashion. Uh, Villarica drives down the field. They are down 7-10. to 10. Banneker's up on them by three points. This is a game that I thought was going to be in hand very, very early. Uh, they, they line up for a game-tying field goal. The snap was a little low. Will Wallace caught it, couldn't get it up to try to attempt the field goal and send it into overtime. He picks it up. They're at about the 15, 16-yard line, picks it up, goes over the short side of the field, goes over to the near side of the field, the short side of the field, and evades like four or five tacklers, dives into the end zone, and scores a touchdown with no time left on the clock. It was it was nuts. It was crazy. Uh, absolutely insane inning. So Villarica, 2-0 in region play. 2-0 in region play after a 13-10 win over Banneker. Heard County beats Clarkston 37-6. Great to see Heard County get in the win column. I said this last week. They might have been the best 0-4 team in the entire state. They get in the win column versus the Clarkston Arugulas. Jasper County beats Mount Zion 42-7. I know that was a pain point for Coach Brad Gordon last year going on the road. Um, hopefully they get that figured out this year. Uh, those Eagles got some, they got some talented players out there at Mount Zion this year. Hopefully they get that one figured out. Bremen beats Ridgeland 21 to 14. Nice win from Bremen. Uh, once again, I think they're going to be a sneakily good team this year. And Carrollton beats Hillgrove 49 to nothing. Kamari favors, or excuse me, Kamari Farmer rushed for 132 yards on 15 carries and scored two tuds. Uh, Juju Lewis was nine of 17 passing for 130 yards and four touchdowns. That's a Marine Scout scoreboard from this past weekend as well. No softball, no volleyball going on. Bowden beats Temple 42-20. Villarica beats Banneker 13-10. Hurt County beats Clarkston 37-6. Jasper County beats Mount Zion 42-7. Bremen beats Ridgeland 21-14. And Carrollton beats Hillgrove 49-0. On the Smith's floor coverings, games, and events calendar for tonight, in softball, Carrollton is at Northgate, and Mount Zion is at Heard County. Another cup of coffee brought to you by Realtor Hannah Strawn with Robert Goosby Real Estate Group. The Miami Dolphins scored 70 points yesterday versus the Denver Broncos. 70 points. The Dolphins had over 700 yards of total offense, and they were three points away from setting the NFL all-time scoring record. 70 points. 70 points in a professional football game. That is insane. Mr. Unlimited should change his name to Mr. Unreliable. I told you guys before the season started, I have got zero faith in the Broncos. I don't like Russell Wilson. Sean Payton is washed. That team is going to be terrible. And the Dolphins proved it last night. Uh, Texan C.J. Stroud. Showing up yesterday, man. Showing up. Head coach said, we drafted the right guy. As the, uh, as the Texans quarterback, he made history yesterday. First time in uh, NFL history that a guy has gone three straight games to start his NFL career off with zero interceptions. At least four passing touchdowns and zero interceptions. Oh, I mean, that's when, anytime you can start setting records like that, 
that's, that's pretty amazing. He has, he has 900 passing yards on the season. Three games, 900 passing yards, four tutties, and zero interceptions. He, he's, pretty, he's pretty good. And I was a little worried about C.J. Stratton. Especially after the first game he played, I was a little worried about C.J. Stratton. But that kid's that kid's turned into a baller out there. I'm excited to see what he can do with the Houston Texans, who have a who have a poo poo roster. But uh, it was C.J. Stratton quarterback. At, I don't know. We'll see what they can do in that in that division. Uh, the Bears seek ways to keep moving forward after 41 to 10 loss. The Chicago Bears are probably the worst run franchise in the NFL right now. I mean, they are just horrendous. They suffered a 41 to 10 loss to the reigning Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Cole Komet, their tight end, just said, we just got our ass kicked. I mean, plain and simple, that's what happened. Um, he said, that that's probably number one I can think of about the game. I've had it in a long night, and and that looked like it. That looked like what happened is we just we got kicked up and down uh, the entire game. And I, the Bears are terrible. The Bears are horrendous. They, they have, I would say, a bottom three roster in the NFL, and they're mismanaged. So the Cardinals have a terrible roster, but they're coached and managed really well, as we saw yesterday when they beat the Cowboys somehow. I don't know how that happened. Uh, And in that game, in that Bears-KC game, I don't know if anybody heard because it hasn't been all over the news, Taylor Swift, she was there. She accepted the invite from uh, Travis Kelsey to come to the Chiefs game. She was sitting in the VIP box with Mama Kelsey up there and celebrating celebrating all the things that Travis Kelsey did yesterday scoring a touchdown and they were spotted uh, they were spotted leaving the leaving the arena they were leaving Arrowhead together uh, so yeah that's, that's interesting it's something to keep your eye on it'll be all over the news it'll be everywhere uh, and today in 2000 American basketball player Vince Carter jumps over seven foot two Frederick Weiss in the 2000 Summer Olympics known in France as the Le Donc de la Mort, which is the dunk of death Vince Carter flew over a 7-2 human being in a game to dunk the basketball. One of the greatest dunks I've ever seen in a competitive game. It was nuts. It was absolutely insane. But for Billy Lindahl, I am Bryce Sparling. Thanks for listening to the Morning 5 on this Monday. We will see you tomorrow morning, same time, same place. Shake your neighbors! Just shake them! Shake your neighbors!